0: episode 213 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 16th of January 2023. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Let's get straight on with our discoveries then. Will, you've been using test disk. Presumably you lost some data then.
1: Yeah, I wish I wasn't. So I bought an Kingston A400 240 gig SSD off Amazon a couple of years ago and it's been fine it's been the main boot disk in my Raspberry Pi 4 that's running all various bits around my house and it's been fine in fairness Uh, it boots off of a, a USB to SATA connector and it's been absolutely fine and then one day everything was broken and I tried to work out what was going on I couldn't SSH into this box so I picked it up, put it in here, plugged it into the monitor and just nothing, just dead. It's like the disc didn't even exist. So I plugged it into a variety of other machines to try and find out what was going on, including a Windows machine, just in case that would work. But nothing would work. This thing was absolutely dead. And it appeared in the disk manager as SATA firm, which sounded a bit like serial ATA firmware to me. So I went Googling and it turns out that this drive, or rather the um, SATA controller on this drive, has a problem, a known problem. And if you get a worn block on your disk, sometimes it just goes into fail-safe mode and just like blows a fuse and it's dead. So I tried to restore the firmware on it. That didn't go brilliantly. And then I tried to use, or well, then I started searching around for software packages that would help me try and recover some of the data, whether it was deleted or not. And Test Disk is the easiest and fullest featured package for rescuing files that I've ever used. It has a a partner program, which is good for rescuing photos off of SD cards, which name escapes me, but I'll look up in a minute. Photo rec. That's it. Photo rec, Thank you. And it's as good as that, at finding files and the start of blocks of file allocation tables and whatnot. Uh, it wasn't successful in this instance but it's a really good package you can get it on pretty much every platform it supports a whole bunch of file systems it's really quite easy to use for a very technical program and it's yeah the best thing that i have found for doing this sort of work so if you find yourself in a situation where you have to try and recover files test disk is where it's at
0: just to avoid any emails about this you did try plugging the ssd in directly via sata and not via the usb converter
1: Correct, I did. I did that. That was the first thing I tried. Okay. Interestingly, side note, today there's a YouTube channel called My Mate Vince who tries to repair electronic bits and bobs. Check out his video about when he bought about eight robot vacuum cleaners. It's quite funny. Um, and for, one, uh, for whatever reason, he is trying to fix one of these exact same discs, the same model, the same size, and uh, like two weeks later, then mine blew up. So I suspect that if you've got a Kingston A400 240-gig drive that you bought a few years ago, now would be a good time to check your backups.
0: him, <laughs> <laughs> you got that keyboard then, and it worked quite nicely, except that it's now dropped in price and you're angry.
2: Bastards! Absolute bastards. There's like 30 quid off what I paid for it. I swear they do it on purpose. Maybe it's (laughs) using the cookies and it knows it's me and it's going, oh, I'm just going to wind them up now. Maybe I'll buy a second one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I got the Logitech G Pro TKL mechanical keyboard with the GX Blue cookie keys. Uh, I was a bit worried that they weren't the Cherry keys. And for about the first two, three hours, I was getting a bit of buyer's morse going, oh, maybe I should have gone for the Cherry Blue, but... Yeah, I started to like it after that, and it's uh, fantastic. But not only that, someone has written a unbelievably brilliant CLI tool called g810-led, and it's in the repos, so you don't even have to go through the GitHub page. And all of the keys can be addressed individually by reasonable names like dash k a will assign key a, and then you can assign it a RGB color value in hex. But you can also do groups of keys or like subset of keys, like the modifier keys or like the whole group over there, which I think they call them the function keys. That's things like print screen and home and end and all that. So you can make lovely colored sort of sequences on your keyboard and not just have all the same color and all the keys, or you're even forced to use some horrific tool where you get the keyboard image up on screen and, click buttons and stuff like that who wants that no you'd rather type stuff (laughs) and I I was able when you slagged me off I was able to make a nice little
0: (laughs) words typed out for you that I could send you a picture of yeah I still don't know what a tacon is I know (laughs) it's a type of bird (laughs) oh okay all right but come on let's face it the only reason you wanted to change any of the LEDs was to turn off the windows key (laughs) I did actually (laughs) I turned off that
2: and the capstock key but that I mean that is a cool feature of it where you can actually set the value to be zero and uh the light goes off which is quite nice i think and i have most of my keys amber but i've got a few things like function keys are like a sort of a turquoisey kind of color or something like that but you can dim them down as well which like when they start off at max power they sort of cut the eyes out the back of you
0: if you're in a, a low light environment so it's it's really really easy and it's so simple the way this thing works Have you saved all of the config into a bash script?
2: I don't have to. It remembers it in firmware when the machine Mm. reboots. Ah. But I have it in my bash history, so I guess I should save it out. And there is actually um, a startup daemon that actually does have that ability where you can actually pre-configure a whole load of stuff yourself in a simple config file and do it that way as well. So, yeah, I mean, it is so well done. So if you just unplugged it now and then plugged it into your laptop, say, it would remember it all? It would, I believe. But Team Machines, yeah, I think so. Uh, that's a good point, actually. But if I do it myself, and, you know, there's no thing telling me anything, uh, I think it would do it. He says, as it wipes the config and there's is now doing a rainbow color at me. Well, that's me proven wrong, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> God damn it. It took me ages to set those up. Hang on, I'll fix it in about five seconds. That's the great thing about it. Yeah, I just copy pasted what I just did, and bang, it's right back up again. So, yeah. Well, lesson learned. I will use the config file the next time. (laughs) Well, by next week, I want the enter key
1: flashing when you get a new email, and I want the uh, delete key flashing for how many unread Telegram messages you've got.
2: You know, the thing is, you could actually do that, because it not only has colors, it does have flashing and blinking and all sorts. And because it's scriptable, you could do that, couldn't you? Yeah, I could do that i might do that I oh might do no that. <laughs> what have i
0: done
2: when when clients don't get their code this week they'll know why my keyboard <laughs> is in pristine
0: their code is not and you also got in here old gear sucks specifically athlon 64 3000 plus yeah
2: so it's a Foxconn motherboard and it's a processor from about 2008 2009 and i can't get anything to install on it and i don't know why i yeah, I was trying for a laugh. I was thinking, yeah, I could make that as a storage device. It doesn't have to do much. It's gonna sit on the end of a remote connection, so I could just use that as a device to have a couple of SATA drives in. But no, I couldn't even get like an older version of Ubuntu to boot in it. It just kept bombing out all over the place. Now it there could be a fault on the board, I don't know. But uh
0: old gears crap. Just don't do it. Apart from anything else, it's gonna use loads and loads of electricity. So yeah, I wouldn't bother.
2: see, that's the thing. I don't think it is though. And you know, it's a free machine and I I hate to throw stuff away. That is, well, I thought functioning perfectly, but maybe it isn't. So maybe
0: I shouldn't. It's funny. I was thinking, am I going to look this up? And then I saw Graham select it in the dock. So I know he's looking it up now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I had Athlons for a long time. I remember you had to loop a piece of copper cable around a couple of pins to be able to unlock the multiplier so you could overclock them. Oh, my <laughs> God. A lot of fun. <laughs> I'm
0: pretty sure that my first PC was an Athlon of some description. The first one I bought myself was an Athlon 500 megahertz. Yeah. Yeah, and mine was so shit that eventually I had to take the side off the PC and point a desk fan at it <laughs> to keep it cool enough to not just shut itself down every five minutes. To be honest, that was the
2: last time I cared about
0: hardware was that pre one gigahertz where you had all sorts of lunatics,
2: like submerging processors in mineral oil and like putting refrigerating units into them and stuff and trying to overclock the bejesus out of an Athlon 600 up to like a gig and stuff. That was fun back then, but then it all got very boring. And, you know, all these people who know all the CPU architecture names like Arslake and whatever the (laughs) fuck they are.
0: I mean, I just (laughs) couldn't care about anything less. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late-night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch, and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Well, I have bought a Pixel 7 asterisk. I got it cheap. A dear friend of mine sent me it, brand new sealed for basically half price. Now, uh, he assures me he didn't get it off the back of a truck. No, he got it from a trade-in, and he was just sick of me complaining about Lineage. And he said, look, I'm going to just sort you out a proper phone, and then you can talk about it on the show, and you know, it's kind of my contribution to it. So... I've been playing with totally stock Android. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a few things I miss from Lineage, but ultimately it's not that bad to the software experience and the hardware makes up for it. And the fact that I can have my banking apps now, I don't have to fuck around with passwords and remembering my memorable phrase and trying to okay, what's the 13th one? (laughs) You know, it's just fingerprint done. It's so much easier good for you it's also so much easier for google they don't have to fuck around now to try and find you oh come on i had the google apps anyway (laughs) like what's the difference yeah 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 okay but i tell you what i miss i often have my phone on while i'm cooking like someone will send me a message and i'll I'll, like just use my knuckle because my fingers are just like covered in greasy shit or whatever And I just do a quick double tap on the top bar thing to turn the screen off. Well, that isn't a thing in stock Android, it turns out. That's just lineage. I can't believe they haven't done that. And the clock position. Oh, please, please, somebody, somebody out there, tell me how I can move it back to where it fucking belongs on the right. My notifications belong on the left. And it just keeps catching my eye. Oh, I've got no oh no, I haven't got notification. It's just the fucking clock. And oh, you'll get used to it, Joe. Well, fucking two weeks in I haven't. I haven't got used to it yet. I don't know. Where's the volume thing? Is it on the right midway down
2: vertically now on that? Yes. I hate that. And that's part of my version of lineage. I hate it. And I find it's so minuscule that I can't. It's either I have blaring, ear bleeding audio or (laughs) it's mute. It's so annoying. It's like, why are they making it that small? If the phone has a screen that big, make it the whole fucking size of the screen.
0: Jesus. Well, anyway, if anyone knows how to get the clock to the other side without rooting it because I don't want to root it. I don't want to unlock the bootloader. I want to have a stock experience as possible. Then uh, that'd be great. The hardware is good though. Screen's good. It's a bit heavy. I think they made it deliberately heavy with all the glass to make it seem fancier, but I'd rather it be lighter, but whatever. Camera is just fucking amazing. Like I've been using the G Cam on Lineage, which is sort of hacked together port of the Google camera, but to have one that's like meant to be it's oh, it's so much better, and it just automatically does night sight and stuff. And fuck you, failing with your shitty lineage camera. <coughs> Flood fill. <laughs> whatever, what? Whatever. Looks fake. Looks fake. The calendar is just so bad, and actually, it's the same in lineage. I think no, no, it's the Google calendar is terrible, which you get if you flash the G apps. But uh, I just got ETAR, is it E T A R? ETAR, ETAR ETA from F Droid. And it's like, oh, yes, a proper fucking calendar. And that synced with all my Google shit. So that was brilliant. And charging's a bit weird. Like some of my charges don't work. And then I plug them back in and they do. It's all just huh. a bit fucking weird. I don't know what's going on with that. Because it doesn't come with a charger, of course. It doesn't even come with a cable. I, or maybe it does come with a cable, but it doesn't come with a charger because they they want to be like Apple. So. You think it would just work with every charger like my OnePlus 1 or 3 no 3T charger I think that's that does the fast charging that just doesn't work at all and uh, I charged it while I was sleeping the other day or plugged it in and then woke up and it just hadn't charged oh. so that sucks but it's fine it, it's the battery's really good and it's new so the battery's extra good so that's fine and no headphone jack man oh. like <sighs> No, You know what? I had been preparing myself for this day (laughs) for a long time. I'd been using Bluetooth almost exclusively, and occasionally my battery would die on whatever device, and I'd plug it in and go, ah, yes, smug. I've got this headphone jack. But then, for Christmas, I bought myself a flip sampler. It's this stupid app, which I've subjected you lot to before, where you can just record into the phone and do just make daft fucking hip-hop beats and whatever. And You can't use it with Bluetooth because the latency is just too frustrating. And so I had to buy myself some of those dongles, the uh, USB-C to three and a half mil. And that's a bit weird. It takes a while to sort of recognize it and load the driver or whatever. And it's just all a bit shit, quite frankly.
2: Yeah, and just wait till you mangle your charging port because you've been plugging it in off and on so many
0: times a day. But overall, I've been pretty happy with it. Now, the only real reason I needed root before was... A. Magisk modules to make the camera work, well, that's not a problem anymore because I've got proper stock Android on a Pixel, so that's fine. The other thing was I was using AdAway, which just replaces your host's file, essentially, with a big fucking list. Well, it turns out that AdGuard has a public DNS server that you can just put in to the settings, the network settings, and it's almost as good as AdAway. It blocks most ads. I've seen a couple but they weren't like horribly offensive or anything. So that has sort of solved the last problem. So apart from this clock issue and the minor annoyance of not being able to double tap the top bar to turn the screen off, I'm pretty much sorted, I think. I'm pretty much happier than before.
1: When I was weighing up the options between AdGuard and PieHole oh, I don't know, was it about a year ago, maybe? I came down in favor of Hole because it gave me that little bit more flexibility and it was a little bit more transparent. One of the problems I found was that sometimes I needed a site to be unblocked. How are you going to do that with AdGuard? Have you got any options? Is it just disable that dns server or disable that service and, and try again
0: yeah because it's pretty quick to do it just go into the settings and you can just disable it and then re-enable it afterwards yeah i mean i had the problem with AdAway where t.co was blocked which is any link off twitter and so i had to then allow list that and then it was fine and that was my concern but i think AdGuard is a little bit less zealous with the blocking and that's why i've seen a couple of ads so I think I'm less likely probably to run into those problems with it, hopefully. And they do offer three options. One is just uh, uh, totally not blocking anything. One is blocking ads. And then one is blocking ads. And then all of your mucky JPEGs. And um, it says that it even will try and put safe search on and, you know, try and make it properly safe for work. And uh, so, yeah, I'll definitely be using that third one, yeah. <laughs> mucky... Um,
1: <laughs> <jpex.com>. <laughs> and it is well it's not returning any results it looks like mucky com. yeah oh no no it says no servers could be reached interesting
0: but it's funny that uh was it was you will was talking to us in our little private telegram group about um cloudflare have got an option for this
1: yeah it's funny i, I only found out about this today Cloudflare run 1.1.1.1, which I think most people are aware of. But what I wasn't aware of is 1.1.1.2, which is supposed to filter malware, and 1.1.1.3, which is supposed to filter malware and adult content. So I think this, this concept that you can just change to a slightly different DNS server with a relatively easy-to-remember
2: IP address is a really nice service. It's a good idea. Yeah, quite a low-impact way to sort out like younger family members or something like that i might have to try it 1.1.1.3 does not block
1: muckyjpegs.com
3: and um, while you've all been talking about this i just thought i'd have a look at piehole my Hole locally and it's just incredible how much stuff it's blocking it's just like a 24 hour moving log but i don't know sixty four thousand queries the top domain blocked is global.telemetry.insights.video.a-z.com. <laughs> <laughs> Why
0: is it blocking stuff in the middle of the night?
3: Yeah, I guess my daughter goes to bed later than I think she does. <laughs>
0: yeah, because it just it, it dies down to about two hundred per few minutes. But uh, yeah, there, there's something going on there, Graham. That should be flatlined and <laughs> to right. zero. Yeah, you're right. Ah, it's the PlayStation. It's the PlayStation's booting at night for patches. Yeah, maybe. No, what well, it is it's the smart telly mm. it's uh, it's getting up right and walking around your house and looking <laughs> at you. that's what Phelim actually believes
2: no not quite i do think my robot hoover does though because <laughs> it has blocked me from the living room by getting stuck in a corner near the door and i was like right you got five seconds are gonna hockey puck you across the room i'm very
0: surprised that you've got a robot vacuum cleaner
2: i have two dogs and a cat. Yes, mm. I have a robot Hoover. <laughs> it's a dumb one. Wow. Doesn't do any mapping though. That's what they want you to think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, trust me. They've done a very convincing job of programming it to make it look like it <laughs> hasn't a fucking clue where it's going.
0: <laughs> is it connected to the Wi-Fi?
2: It is connected to the Wi-Fi, yes.
0: Uh. <laughs> And you won't even have a smart telly that's not connected to the network well well do you know think- what there's no camera on the tv it, it's not sending pictures of what
2: i'm watching back to sony so yes i will well, i bet i don't talk yeah. when I'm, when the hoover's in the room mind you because i still don't trust it do you wear
1: a series of disguises
2: around the house <laughs> yes. yes i do how did you know <laughs> it is me don incognito <laughs> you are such a fucking hypocrite honestly i'm not a hypocrite I don't interact with the Hoover. It stays in its room. I stay in mine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by TailScale. Go to TailScale.com. TailScale is a VPN service that makes the devices and applications you own accessible anywhere in the world, securely and effortlessly. It enables encrypted point-to-point connections using WireGuard, which means only devices on your private network can communicate with each other. Unlike traditional VPNs, which tunnel all network traffic through a central gateway server, Tailscale creates a peer-to-peer mesh network. It handles complex network configuration on your behalf, so you don't have to. Network connections between devices pierce through firewalls and routers as if they weren't there, so there's no need to manually configure port forwarding. Tailscale is available for Linux, Mac, Windows, Raspberry Pi and Arm, Android, iOS, Synology, And for devices that don't allow additional software to be installed, such as printers and other embedded devices, where you can set up a subnet router to act as a gateway, relaying traffic from your TailScale network onto your physical subnet. So go to TailScale.com and try it for free on up to 20 devices. That's TailScale.com. Graeme, you've linked to a 3D model, which is really cool.
3: Yeah, this is a weird one. I am not. Sh- I wasn't sure how uh, you'd take this, but it's like a 3D model, as in a model that you could download and view it in Blender or in a, a web viewer of an old Egyptian, a statue of an old Egyptian queen called Nefertiti, specifically a physical bust that's in the Neues Museum in Berlin of this Queen Nefertiti. When I used to travel... It's a bit nerdy, but I love going to museums and I've been to lots of museums in lots of places. I'm really luckily privileged to be able to do that. But this actual bust of Nefertiti in the Neues Museum in Berlin was hands down the most amazing thing I've seen. The craftsmanship on it. The beauty of it, the form of it, I don't know. It's, it's really beguiling. That's all I can really say. It's an incredible statue. It's smaller than you might think it is. The statue itself, I don't know, I think it's like 4,000 years old. It was found in rubble near to the workshop where the sculptor created it. It's stucco-coated limestone. And it's the painting, it just, it looks so real in front of you. Um, it's a very popular exhibit. It, I've even got to the state where I'll get up early, which I never do, and go over to the Neuers Museum as it opens to go and see it before everything else opens. So that's a bit of a backdrop to this work of art. And for a long time, I've been looking for the kind of 3D models, something that you can kind of experiment with or render in Blender or just look at in a in a way that you can kind of see how something's made or see the craftsmanship that's gone into something. And it's actually surprisingly difficult for this stuff that's 4,000 years old and really, I think, should be in the public domain. So this is actually courtesy of uh, the National Museum of Antiquities in the Netherlands, I think. They've been 3D scanning a load of these ancient artefacts and then making super high-resolution textures and 3D models of these artefacts Available under CC Creative Commons zero. So no rights reserved basically in the public domain, which I feel is where they should be. And I think for people who aren't able to go to travel to Berlin or the Louvre or wherever it may be, it's the next best thing seeing them rendered in a browser or if seeing them fi- rendered in VR if you can, or being able to download them and experiment them and uh, with them and use them as you see fit. And it's really liberating. And I think this is exactly where works of art like this should be. Um, Yeah, so I'm fascinated by it. And it's a great model as well. It's super high resolution, very high quality, something that you can actually study the kind of form and structure and creation of devices like this.
0: It's a very impressive demo. I've just found myself just twisting it around and looking at it from all angles. It's almost better than a museum because you can have a look around the back of it. And Mm. it's, it's brilliant.
3: Yeah, and there's no one there. I mean, when you see the real thing, it's a bit like the Mona Lisa. It's very famous. Um, you get hordes of people trying to just spend a half a second in front of it. Yeah. And this way, you can light it as you want to, because the lighting's very harsh as well in the museum. I've genuinely study how it It's a fascinating piece because it's elongated in certain ways to accentuate certain features. It's a real work of art. It's four thousand years ago. Not soon after, it's stone. Ancient Britons were just putting stones on top of each other.
0: Yeah, and you can turn it around the back and have a look at the intricate painting on there that you'd never see in a museum, I don't suppose. So, yeah, it's very uh, very impressive and great that it is effectively public domain as well.
3: Yeah, and it's on hosted on Sketchfab and you can download a Blender object directly.
0: And it's not just this, there's loads of them.
3: Yeah, yeah, there's loads of pieces like this, all different scales, all the same high-quality scanning, all from around the world. And, you know, Egypt, I've never been to Egypt.
2: The question is, have you 3D printed one for your house yet? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I haven't, but that's quite a good idea. <laughs> you can print just a little
0: one, sit on your desk.
3: Yeah, put it on my monitor next to my snowboarding Lego. <laughs>
0: <laughs> on to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux After Dark and Linux Downtime. And you also get some episodes early. And if you want to get in contact, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do some feedback then. Tim
1: said, I was wondering if any of you use Midnight Commander on Linux. I've been using it on various systems for the last 20 years, HPUX, Sunos, Red Hat, Sigwin, mostly at work. I just think it's a great program and should be recommended to new Linux users who are afraid of dumb terminal sessions.
0: This is something I've heard of as a kind of fabled, old-school thing that I just have never got around to using. I used to use one a bit like that on
2: DOS, but I can't remember what it was, and that was a really long time ago. Was
3: it Norton, Commander?
2: Oh, God, it is. You're Mm. right. Yeah. And I don't know, I just... I prefer just using the command line, to be quite honest, and globbing and things like that. It's just so much easier than ticking and highlighting files. But I do always get told, do I want to install it? Because I usually type MC
3: instead of MV. Mm. I've certainly used it a long time ago. I think when I didn't have so much confidence, I'm I'm not great on the command line, but it's really good for doing batches of files that you can't like easily create a wildcard match for. And yeah, at the time, Norton Commander, I think, was really popular and, and people could move to like... The Linux terminal and f- feel familiar with that. And I think it was started by Miguel de Casa of GNOME and that freedom fame. I feel like there's a kind of a back to the future plot there where we could go back and convince him not to, you know, take <laughs> on Mono and then go over Microsoft. <laughs> and I don't know the names of them, but I've certainly looked at like more recent curses based file management apps on the uh, command line. I might have to have a look at couple of that i've used for the next uh, discovery see if i can find something better because i'm sure there are are better solutions now
0: warren wrote just something i stumbled across on mastodon here be nostalgia dragons and then linked to lotus 123 for (laughs) linux
2: have you been at the crack again warren oh dear (laughs) i thankfully never ever ever had to touch that but i have only heard delightful things about it
0: yeah, I've never used it either. Again, it's one of those kind of nostalgic things for a lot of people that was just slightly before my time, I think.
3: I had a job once where I had to run it, I think on... I must have been Windows 3.1. It was ancient. God. And there's a bit of a story because it was a really boring thing. I had to maintain entering details and I'd get so bored I would hover my finger over the delete key for the file, just kind of play with it and tickle with it. <laughs> weeks and weeks went by and never pressed it. And then one day, after a little bit too much coffee, I pressed it, deleted it, I was pressing. No backup for anything but of course I could just copy it and paste a load of random numbers no one noticed. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, honestly. I had a summer job where it was a book company and we used to
2: have to use terminals that went back to a- sco linux box or sorry yeah sco was it sco unix even possibly and it was this terrible thing it was all green font like that and text-based horrificness
0: well i'm sure there's a lot of people listening who are nostalgic about midnight commander and lotus 123 but uh not even we are old enough <laughs> for that thankfully <laughs> right well we'd better get out of here then We'll be back next week when who knows what we'll be talking about. It might be some news, it might be something else. You never know, dear. But until then, I've been John.
3: I've been Salem. I've been Graham. And I've
0: been Will. See you later.